Hello, In The Pink friends. It's me, Natalie Pink. I'm back with another In The Pink episode in association and partnership with Bose, um, helping you stay connected in this crazy time and giving away more Bose noise-cancelling headphones. I will tell you at the end of this episode how you can win a pair. Okay, we've had loads of great guests already in the last couple of months, and my next is no exception. He is... Just a lovely, quirky, fun, very modest and yet hugely talented young man. Uh, I say he's young, he is young, he is only 20 and yet he is taking the racing world by storm. I am of course talking about McLaren's driver, Lando Norris and a great British potential world champion in the making. Uh, He is in lockdown on his own, completely on his own, and has been for the entirety of lockdown. And so we're able to have a really good, long chat about his life, about his ambitions, his hopes, his dreams, his thoughts on his new teammate, and much, much more. So here he is. I know you'll love it. He's a great guy um, and a great interview. It's Mr. Lando Norris. Well, hi. Good to see you. Hello. Still just about hanging on under lockdown? Um, Just about. Uh, Yeah, I think now once everyone, there's more talk again now of obviously kind of getting driving again and more plans are are getting put in place. Um, So now I'm getting a bit more excited of of stuff to look forward to um, as kind of, uh, yeah, things are becoming a bit more realistic. So um, I've been enjoying my time, kind of, let's say, with some things, uh, with so far, so far what we've been doing. But then now it's got to the point where, because it's getting more exciting about things coming up, then um, now it's making the things we're doing now quite, like, not boring, but just very repetitive. And, yeah, it just makes you really look forward to, to the stuff coming up. So, um, yeah, apart from that, it's still going great things. Now, you actually said to me that, you've basically been on your own for the whole of lockdown, living on your own. And when I asked you, I was like, I was genuinely, I genuinely felt a bit gutted for you. But actually you said, no, that's just the way I like it. What does that say about you that actually you enjoy your own company to that extent? I mean, I'd love to be a bit more like I don't know. Um, I don't know, I've always been a bit like it. Um, I've always kind of loved, I just enjoyed spending time alone and doing things that I, I love to do. So like, you know, if I was at home, say, I would still spend the whole day in my room, um, you know, uh, painting or designing or something like that. It's not the fact that I'm, you know, I'm away from everyone else, but uh, still the, the fact of just kind of being alone and listening to my music and then just doing things I enjoy, whether it's designing or playing on my simulator or um, chatting with my friends or something. Um, yeah, as long as I still get to do the things that I, I kind of like love to do and like to do, then I'm, then I'm happy. So it doesn't really matter where I am in the world. Uh, if I still get to do those things, then, um, yeah, I'm, I'm still happy with, with what's going on. Well, I always think of you as being quite a sociable creature. Like you're good with people. Quite the opposite. <laughs> no, 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 no. 
no, I'm, I mean, obviously I have laughs and stuff and, um, you know, and maybe it comes, it does come across that way on TV and not cause it's not something I am. Cause when I'm, you know, it's like me and Carlos and we're joking about and having laughs and then that, like I complete this, that, that I love doing as well. But then, um, I, I hate the crowds, let's say not the crowds. Cause I love the fans and everything, of course, but then I hate, you know, big groups of people. I hate, um, you know, my worst nightmare is like dinners and then having to sit next to someone and kind of get forced to speak to them. Uh, although you really don't want to speak to anyone kind of thing. That's like, that's what I, I, I just don't like. Um, but I don't know. Everyone's different. Some people love being social. Whereas I just love being antisocial. It's, it's my jam. <laughs> small talk. Yeah, small talk yeah. is a good Okay, so let's, let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back to your childhood. I know that's not that long ago for you. No. Normally, when I talk to people on this podcast, they've had a whole life, 40, 50, 60 years. But you've crammed a fair amount into your 20 years. Um, yeah. Tell us about your family. Tell us about the drive behind you becoming a professional racing driver. Um, where did it start? So it started a very long time ago, um, back in the day, when uh, my dad was quite a big motorsport fan. Um, and he liked it and he used to, he went to go and watch a few races um, with his dad. So my granddad and, um, and he loved to do it. And he wanted to do it as a, as a kid and growing up and he always wanted to do it. And he did some days at um, some like track days where he could and, and so on. But um, uh, he couldn't afford to do it when he was, was growing up. Um, and so he was a cyclist and um uh, yeah, never got the opportunity to really uh, go and do it as much as what he wanted to, but he still loved it. Um, so when I was growing up, um, you know, we'd watch it on TV sometimes. Um, obviously, my dad then had Gran Turismo on the PlayStation, and me and my, my brother and myself, we would just spend hours and hours just driving around on Gran Turismo, racing each other, and we already started to like kind of love the competitive side of things when we were super young. Um, and especially between obviously my brother and me. So, um, it kind of all started there in racing each other on like on just a Gran Turismo or something. And, um, it kind of slowly rose more to, to watching a lot of the races on, on TV. Um, uh, me getting a quad bike when I was, uh, for my fourth birthday, a little quad bike, oh. which my dad, four years old yeah how did you um, feel about that there's no way i would let my four-year-old on a quad bike uh well i i mean we had horses i had to i, I mean i wasn't forced so i'm not going to put it like that we <laughs> we had to do some horse riding as well before i was four um so it was my brother me and my younger sister even um between the age of like three four five six maybe three four five um we would do some horse riding uh all four, all three of us at the time um and uh i i mean i wasn't terrible but i mean i was i was super young i didn't know whether i like i well i didn't like it i can put it like that um i didn't like it and uh i loved watching the motorsports and kind of um 
was a bit more sporty, I think, than I am now as a kid in terms of going for a run outside and spending time outside and stuff like that. Um, but I never, yeah, I never showed a lot of interest in horse stuff um, and showed a lot more interest in, in the racing and things that I was watching and so on. So um, that's where I had my interest. And uh, then for my fourth birthday, after not liking horse riding um, and complaining that I didn't want to do it anymore, um, then I got a, a little mini quad bike, not like a super fast one or anything, but just, you know, a very small one because um, I was four. So I would, I would love for spending time with that and spend hours and hours and hours on it. Um, but then I, I got too dangerous to drive and had to change or I got too dangerous to drive. Then my dad sold it um, without telling me. He just said, we don't have it anymore. You can't go quad biking. So I was gutted. It's like my life was over. <laughs> and, uh, um, so somehow he thought then, um, all right, we'll get you a, we'll get you a, a motorbike because that's load safer um somehow <laughs> so yeah i know um this was maybe like a, a year for a year two years later um and uh yeah then i went on the motorbike and um i would go around on that and i would love spending time on that um all at the same time and like me and my brother are growing our interest in in racing and watching you know some of the gp3 races say or whatever it was on then um but having a big interest in Formula One. Um, and I would say still me, me more than, than Ollie, my brother. Um, but we loved racing at that time anyway. Um, and I guess the main thing that kicked everything off was um, after school one, one day, uh, possibly a Friday or something, then my dad took um, me and my brother to Clay Pigeon uh, to go and watch the British Championships, the Super One at the time, and um, we never went to go and watch any other racing or, or anything like that. Um, this was our first, yeah, like competition. Let's say we went to watch, and uh, and it looked super fun. So I wanted to. Oh, I asked if I could have a go. Um, and my dad, after the race had finished, um, oh no, it must have been on a Sunday. I don't know. Maybe it's a Sunday. I'm confused because um, it was after the weekend had finished. My dad went round asking um, people if they had any spare kit, like race boots, race suits, gloves, um, and ended up uh, pretty much getting everything from asking around for people of, like for spare stuff, getting like race boots, which are way too big for me. Um, considering I was like seven at this time, um, I was six years old. These race boots were like, you know, four sizes too big for me. Probably would fit me now. Um, a way too big, like baggy race suits, uh, some gloves, which are way too big for me. But, um, and then all my dad had to buy, it was a, um, a helmet. So I pretty much had all the gear. Um, and of course, no idea. And, uh, I would, yeah, I would always like just run around the house wearing all of that stuff because uh, I didn't have a go-kart at the time to, to do it, but I would use it when I got on a motorbike and things. And um, and then, uh, yeah, for my seventh birthday, um, I got a Bambino go-kart. And um, that was pretty much where, yeah, that was pretty much day one of my journey to where I am now, I guess. 
that um, I would not stop driving it around at home. I put some cones out um, in this little kind of square patch that we had. And uh, yeah, I would just drive around the cones, create a little track or something or an oval or something like that. And um, I would just drive around for hours and hours and hours. And uh, that was it. I love doing it. It's all I love doing. And I love doing it so much that my brother saw I love doing it and had so much fun that he wanted to try it. And um, I still remember it. I don't know how I remember it. He tried it and he was wearing welly boots or Wellingtons. I don't know how you people say it. Wellingtons, wellies. And um, he got in and he was obviously he's a few years older than me and he was a bit taller. Um, and that's, this Bambino was you know, a decent size for me. And he got in and his foot got stuck uh, on the throttle. So he went, not like super fast, but he went like straight into uh, where some of the horses were um, and straight into one of the stable doors. Um, and uh, then he kind of stopped it for a little bit. Like he, you know, we drive for a couple of times, but he tried it and had, I guess, a bit of a crash. Um, not fast enough to break anything. Um, but... Uh, that was kind of good because he stopped doing it for a little while, which meant I got to do it even more. So I was loving it. Because he got scared off by it. Oh, because he got scared off by, um, yeah, by having a little crash. You know, uh, that is so similar to me and my brother. My brother had this little tractor and he sat backwards like that, steering the tractor. So he sat on the bonnet and he was steering yeah. And I thought that looked like a really cool thing to do. And he wedged the pedal so that it was just full throttle. I said, let me have a go. <laughs> I got in a panic and just went straight through the next door fence. Yeah. Panel with me into the next door garden. <laughs> and then didn't race again for ages. Uh, exactly. Yeah. So pretty much the same as that. Yeah. <laughs> um, it sounds yeah. like a fun childhood anyway. It sounds idyllic. Uh, it was, it was good fun. Um, especially cause already by this time, me and my brother would have like a bit of a competitive, um, time growing up, like racing each other on games and, um, maybe on the bikes and stuff like that. So we were already getting like very competitive as, as two brothers. Um, so when we kind of got the go-karts and after we kind of started to, to do it more again, then, um, then it got more serious and we know we'd try and go quicker and quicker and um we'd risk more and yeah that's kind of how it how it all started and how we fell in love um both of us with uh with racing and um yeah that was he's, my um, childhood he's working um he's got a sim company now doesn't he doesn't he run a company yes simulators yeah so he runs uh cool performance which is um the people who sell what i have here um and uh yeah he's doing well actually so he, he does that and also um so works for some stuff with my dad on uh pure electric which is like the, the scooters um electric scooters and electric bikes and so on um which uh which is going well so uh yeah he still like loves motorsport and he doesn't do it now um uh you know, we did karting all the way until 2014. So we pretty much did seven, seven years together. Um, I never raced him a whole lot because he's, you know, a couple or a few years older. Um, so I never raced him a whole lot, but we obviously started off in, in cadets, the lowest category together, and we'd race each other a bit. 
Um, and I didn't get to race him all the way until my final year in karting in 2014. So it was like five years or six years pretty much where I never raced him. I was, was, was watching him and supporting him. So, um, yeah, that was kind of cool to, to both go into our last year of karting um, before I moved up. And he liked car racing, um, but not as much as, as karting. Karting is very, like relaxed and as a kid you know it's you're going there you're seeing a lot of your mates in some ways um you get to drive a go-kart at the same time and it's just a really fun relaxed kind of environment that you're in obviously when it goes into cars then it becomes a lot more serious let's say and um and he just didn't enjoy that as much um but uh yeah in our final year we had some good races together he out qualified me twice or was on pole twice in the european championship which is more poles than I had that year. Um, and uh, yeah, we kind of got to race each other and um, kind of look back, I guess, on the seven previous years of us growing up together, racing, and um, all the way back to year one where we kind of all started. That's so lovely. I think it's great when siblings have a shared passion because yeah. you know, it's good to enjoy something together and grow up through it together. Okay, time for Bose's handy tips about how we can all cope a bit better over the next few weeks and potentially months um, under lockdown. I think that's part of the problem, isn't it? We just don't know how long this is going to last. And that lack of control over our own lives can let anxiety creep in. But hopefully, if we can all follow these little nuggets of advice, it may just help. Okay, first of all, take time for yourself to stay centred and sane. Number two, seize moments of calm. They may be few and far between, but they are out there. You just need to grab them with both hands. Number three, find your sanctuary away from the chaos. Now, if like me, your whole house is chaotic, then that might be hard. But there must be a little corner somewhere where you can take yourself off and just have a moment or two. Because remember, timeouts aren't just for kids. It's really important to take a little me time because it can go a long way. I know that sounds a bit selfish because I always feel guilty if I go off and read a book or listen to some music or have a bath, all three at the same time. But I think and hope that we all come back to our jobs in the house with the kids, with our family, as better mothers, better partners, more productive, if we have taken a bit of time out. Cabin fever is real. So one way to smash that oppressive feeling is to learn something new. Take up a new hobby, for example. Don't resist and fight the new norm. Embrace it. Shape it to suit you. For example, you could move rooms, change the layout at your home, create a new space dedicated to a new hobby. Make working for home work for you. Don't be afraid of the silence if indeed it exists at any point during your day, it can be truly golden after all. Try to block out unhelpful noise and that will also reduce your anxiety. It's not where you work, it's how you work. So make it work for you with a little bit of help from Bose. Feel more, do more, be more with Bose. Where did school fit into all of this? Because you went to Millfield, didn't you? But but left quite early to focus yeah. on racing. Was it a distraction from your racing or did you quite enjoy 
going to school? Um, school was still priority through, I would say, all the way until, um, all the way until I went pretty much to the senior school. Um, so what age is that? Third, uh, 14, 15, I think. Um, you're in the junior school, so from year two all the way to year eight, um, then, uh, then I was pretty much always at school. Um, and there was little, you know, there was a few competitions. It was like karting would be put in around everything else. Um, because it wasn't like I was doing it seriously enough, let's say. Um, cause when it started, you know, we're doing it for fun, not because, all right, my dream straight away is to, to reach formula one. And my goal is to reach formula one. What do we need to do to achieve that? Like we just started it because I enjoyed doing it and I had, we had no plan or any goal in, um, in at that point. So school had a much more of a priority, but then when I kind of went to the senior school and, um, we started traveling to Europe for a lot of the races, um, flying to Italy all the time. Um, and it kind of started to become more of a serious thing. Then, um, then obviously that's when it kind of switched and, karting was taking up a lot of time anyway because we used to drive wednesday thursday friday saturday sunday um that was a normal race weekend for some reason we used to be driving on wednesday and thursday already so you know we'd have to fly from home tuesday evening arrive in italy um pretty much be a uh, you know away for for the whole week um and that's when things started to become a lot more difficult to keep up with all of the, the stuff from school, um, you know, catch up, try and get ahead if possible. Um, it was just very difficult. And after, you know, doing a year or so of that and, and trying to keep up and you know, optimizing everything possible, um, uh, it kind of became too much. And for my, my final year and going into GCSEs, then I had to, um, or did a year of, of homeschooling because it was too difficult um, to yeah, be at school and sort and organize everything of when I'm going to be, be away, you know, which teachers I'm going to then have to go and see to catch up on everything. Um, and, and so on. It was, it was too many days away basically to, to do it like that. So I did one year of homeschooling, um, which, uh, you know, which the teacher was at home and sometimes would come away with us if it was a, a European round or something. Um, and have to do schoolwork at the racetrack, which was freaking awful. Because uh, the last thing I would ever want to think of doing is going and doing maths homework after finishing a race and maybe winning it, and then going, "Oh, I got maths homework I got to do now." That's just <laughs> that was a dream killer. So, um, yeah, I had a year of homeschool, and um, and then after GCSE stopped um, and focused just on on racing. Was it ever a concern of yours or your parents that you didn't therefore have a plan B necessary, necessarily? Were you just so determined and positive about your racing career that you didn't worry that you didn't have a huge amount to fall back on if the racing career didn't pan out as you hoped? Um, Has that ever bothered you? Uh, a bit, because I guess the first... You know, a few years, I'm, I don't know, I felt I was too young to know what I wanted to do with my life or if racing didn't happen, 
um, what I was going to do. I don't know. I, I was too young at the time to think of those kind of things. Um, but once I could start to think, all right, what's, um, what am I going to do if it kind of didn't work out at the same time, I was kind of doing well enough that I was like, you know, I can, I can go, I maybe, you know, I couldn't say, yeah, I'm going to make F1 um, and everything's going to be fine. But I could say, you know, I'm doing well enough um, in karting and uh, going into cars that um, it's a risk, but like a, a risk worth taking. There's enough confidence that I was going to do well. Um, if I didn't make it to F1, um, I was still you know, a good enough driver that I could go and race GTs or I could go and race something else, say. So if I was not good enough, um, then there would have been a lot more risk involved and maybe I would have had to do more things to maybe fall back on. But um, it was a good timing for me that I could kind of think for myself what I want to do, but at the same time, knowing that I think I'm doing, I'm, I'm good enough that maybe if I don't reach F1 or the pinnacle, yeah, maybe I can't do that, but I will, I'll have other driving things I can fall back on and, and do that anyway, or the categories I can go into. So, um, yeah, that was a, a good timing, uh, in my life to kind of be able to think of, of what I want to do with my career. Well, I mean, success did come in thick and fast and I guess, would you, would you say that 2016 was kind of a real turning point for you? You bagged, uh, what, three yeah. different titles that year? And then suddenly you were kind of catapulted into, um, well, under the lens of everyone in Formula One. Was it, I remember you being announced the BRDC young driver and then coming yeah. to see you at MTC. Do you remember I came down and interviewed you when you yes. just named I as think the so. reserve driver? That was in 2017. Yeah. And obviously this relationship that you were developing with McLaren has, has, is a great one. And is, there's a lot of kind of mutual belief and respect. Is that all born out of your relationship with Zach Brown or is it, is it, is it a wider one with the team? Um, no, it's, I would say it's just a completely wider one with the team. Um, I, uh, yeah, I, I love working with the team and um, being able to see progress with, with them, um, you know, and giving them good results and driving well enough and scoring well enough that kind of thing um, to kind of give them what they deserve in some ways. Um, so I'm always, and since the beginning have, or maybe not the very beginning because I was too shy and too nervous, but um, since very early on, I've always enjoyed kind of spending time with the mechanics um, and you know, going around the different departments at McLaren, um, the different bays, you know, carbon shop, trim shop, paint shop, going and spending time with, with all of them, um, getting to know the people who are working there and, and what goes on and everything like that. I love doing that. It's not just something that I, I have to do or was made to do. Um, so, uh, yeah, the more time I got to spend with everyone, the more, our relationship was kind of evolving and getting better and better. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess I always got on well, um, well with Zach at the time. Um, 
but I guess everything kind of started earlier during McLaren Autosport Award and getting um, the prize to then go and drive on the simulator a lot and um, kind of being in the factory a bit more at the same time. Then I kind of started to know more and more people. So, um, yeah, I think I've just got on very well with everyone and with the team and the mechanics and the engineers, um, which I think is very important. Um, and I think that's why it's been such a kind of a good relationship is because I've enjoyed working with everyone so much. Um, you know, and uh, even now at the races, or maybe not so much now, but when I was doing the FP1s and stuff and I was traveling a lot with the team, um, but not as just a pure driver because obviously Stoffel and Fernando were still the race drivers, but I was doing some of the FP1s here and there in Japan, in Kota. Um, and um, I was spending a lot of time with the mechanics and, and everyone and the engineers traveling with them. Um, uh, which was which was cool and going to the track and setting everything up um, and then Sunday evening staying there the whole night and uh, packing the whole garage down um, and all, all of that kind of stuff I really I really enjoy doing um, and taking the car to bits um, yeah I've always kind of loved that side of things and being interactive with the car and getting a bit more hands-on so yeah, everything I've done is is purely because I've enjoyed doing it and I've loved spending time with with everyone and enjoyed working with them. Um, and I think that's been a crucial part to why, um, yeah, the relationship between McLaren and, and everyone at McLaren and myself is, uh, has gone so well. Ah, you see, you do like people. You're not so antisocial after all. Well. <laughs> but it, it's interesting because a bit like Lewis, you, you've kind of grown up within the team. How different... Do you feel now compared to, as you touched on, the, the shy kid that first came in? Yeah, um, very different. I guess, I mean, the feeling of within McLaren, so, you know, it's, it's not, yeah, it's quite an intimidating place to go into, um, you know, when you've still got to, to show yourself and prove yourself in a lot of ways. So before I was with McLaren, you know, you walk in there and it's just, a lot of white corridors and it's a freaking huge place. Um, you know, and you're seeing the bosses walking around and you're seeing the engineers or you see one of the drivers. So being young and kind of walking through there before you're really like part of the team is just, yeah, it's very intimidating. So um, the more I kind of went, the more I kind of started to know everyone, um, and the transition all the way to now is so much better because now I walk in and it's just a really cool atmosphere one to, to walk into um, an atmosphere, which is a lot better than what it was uh, a few years ago. Um, but, you know, I can walk in there and it feels much more like home compared to, you know, a little kid walking in having, and having no clue where to go in the place. So, um, yeah, I guess like the relationship has, has come a long way. Um, but uh yeah i don't know it's weird to think of four four years now five four years of um of being at mclaren and kind of starting off as yeah the sim driver and then reserve driver or um yeah test and development and then reserve driver and then the race driver every year was something something new to try and achieve so yeah it's already been quite a, a cool journey yeah and i mean you touched on it then at every point you have proved yourself 
worthy of their investment in you. And obviously your rookie year in Formula One, you had a lot of bad luck, but you really yeah. did prove yourself. I mean, there was um, some real highlights. Some thinking kind of Bahrain. Yeah. France, you were voted driver of the day, even though you didn't finish quite where you, was, where you deserved to. But you were promoted, weren't you, after Daniel was ticked yes. off? Yes. Yeah. boy. And then Austria, Belgium. You know, you did have some very strong races. So I, I know that it's frustrating not to be racing now in 2020, but it's probably given you a little bit more time to reflect on last year. Yeah. How the dust has settled on it. Um, how do you feel about your first year with the team racing alongside Carlos? Um, I, I'm very happy with, or um, I mean, I'm proud of myself. That's a bit weird, but I'm happy with, with how I did, I think last year. Um, and I wasn't obviously at the end of last year and I was quite disappointed in a lot of things, but I think having so much time to kind of, think about things and reflect on a lot of stuff um, and seeing a lot more of the data behind everything and um, the statistics. Um, it's a hard word to say. It's, I can't do it. I really struggle. You know uh, I did. So I, well, I struggled the first one. I, I don't know why I keep thinking there's like three S's in the word. Statistics. Um, but yeah, in them, then um, it kind of gives you a bit more belief in, and also then what the engineers are saying and what the bosses are saying. And because um, it's always different, you know, seeing it from the outside rather than being the extra driver. Um, it's hard to know what everyone on the outside is thinking and, and seeing. So when you kind of look into things a bit more and, um, you know, I guess the brutal facts is Carlos finished where P6 in the driver's championship and I finished P11. Um then you know it just doesn't look amazing at all does it from the outside and for someone that doesn't know what's going on then you'd be like oh carlos has, has absolutely smashed lando um and it's just the fact of of thinking that um which which annoyed me and i wasn't happy with it at all but when you kind of after sitting down for a bit and reviewing everything a lot more um and you know looking at uh, a lot of the races where i did have problems so um, you know, France would have been P7, Spa would have been P6, um, Montreal would have been um, maybe top seven. Um, there's a few more where just, if you just added these points up, it'll be a lot of points. And um, yeah, I'd be a lot higher up in the Drivers' Championship than what I would have been. So I guess it's the same for everyone. And Carlos had some unlike races where he would have scored even more points and so on. But um, there was... A lot of my bad races where I had problems, like technical problems or something, were all the races when I was doing the best in some ways and I was going to score the most points and, and have my best results. So, um, yeah, after kind of seeing a lot more on that um, and having the problems that I had in a lot of races, then um, I think I could be a lot happier with how I did as a driver um, and how I performed throughout the whole year, um, especially my first year in Formula One comparing to his... Uh, his fourth so and of course I've never him. sorry and I qualified him yes let's go back let's just talk about that <laughs> um so like uh, there, you know there's a lot of positives um and the yeah, qualifying parts and um and a lot of the race results um I was very happy with so mm. there were a lot of positives but uh yeah as a driver you just always hate seeing your name 
below well one below your teammates but two um in a position that you know if someone just sees it from the outside and doesn't have a clue about what goes on within the team and the problems that you've had then um it makes you look even worse than than reality kind of thing so i guess thinking of that and thinking um what people do what might think i mean if you look at it from that perspective then um that was the thing that uh that annoyed me more basically i don't think you have to worry too much about the people that that don't know because the people yeah, that get it um how useful was the good relationship that you de- developed with carlos in sort of helping you bed into the team and to give you that confidence um i think it was very important because um it was it was weird because obviously it was my you know i guess my third year really integrating with the team um my first proper year as a driver um but my second year really um working with the guys because i did the fp1s in the year before so i was with mechanics and engineers a lot um and then the year after i'm I'm the driver so in some ways you know i was much more at home than what carlos was um um so in in some ways i helped him um kind of adapt to the environment of mclaren a bit more um but at the same time obviously i learned a lot a lot of things from him um with him with him being in his fourth year of formula one so there was uh, a lot of help both ways in in driving and um we you know we wouldn't have finished p4 in the constructors championship um we might have done but very unlikely we would have finished p4 in the constructors championship if we didn't help each other as much as we did kind of thing um and work with each other as much as we did so i guess that year knowing that um yeah, if if our both of our goals is to win championships and win races, um, then um, you know it's a bit hard with with what's gone on this year. But last year, I guess knowing that we're going to both be in McLaren for this year, um, then we had a kind of a bit of a longer term vision of right. We need to do well as a team and not just individually so much, um, and uh, that's our best chance to make the car better. And obviously, they earn a bit more money. And yeah, then the future can be better for us. So that was kind of our, our goal. And we worked together very well in doing that. Um, and um, yeah, I think that was a crucial part to how we both did as well as we did. Um, but at the same time, it's just really good fun. You know, it was just good fun. Uh, we have a lot of, well, I have a lot of good memories and um, things that I just love doing and good laughs throughout the whole year, which made it very memorable but also just very enjoyable at the same time so um it's kind of like a win-win um you know that you can enjoy something so much and uh i know it doesn't it's not a job to me in in a lot of ways Uh, although it's class as a job it's not a job because i get to just have so much fun compared to a lot of people that probably don't enjoy their job so much so i'm in a lucky position but uh yeah it's just been a great time for both of us and um, getting to work with each other and um, yeah it's a shame this year that we've made, kind of missed out on on a, on a second year and a second opportunity to kind of work on it and see how it went. And how will you feel if the rumours are true that he's off to Ferrari and you'll have a new teammate? Um, a bit sad uh, yeah I mean I hope that we still get to have some races this year at least um, you know yeah, it would be sad basically if he does leave because I think 
um, we've got along really well and um, yeah, we just had a lot of good laughs and it's made it very enjoyable for, for both sides, for him and also for me. So um, yeah, I don't know. It makes it quite like a, a nice environment to, to work in at the same time between both of us um, that we come in and we help each other, but we're still competitive and want to beat each other. Everyone knows that. Um, so it's, yeah, we got, I'm going to kind of miss that. And I don't know, I've not really experienced possibly having a different teammate or, or something like that. Um, so it's kind of just changed things up in, in a way that I don't really know too well. Um, and of course, of course I'm going to miss him if he does go, but, uh, we still have a few more races this year where, um, where things will be normal and we'll still be working with each other and, and trying to beat each other and having good laughs. So uh, I still look forward to all of that. Making me emotional. Oh. Oh, it's, um, I mean, look, by the time this podcast goes out, we may well know what's happening with the Ferrari seat, um, but it's, it's looking, you know, it's looking possible, likely, in fact, that you might get Daniel Ricciardo. And I've got a, a sneaky feeling that you two will get on very well as well. How would you feel about partnering with him? Um, I know I've not really thought about it to be honest. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, I mean, I, yeah, he's a really funny guy and we've had a lot of good laughs. Um, we don't speak all of the time. Um, but in the few times that we've kind of spent time together in press conferences and press conferences and track parades and stuff like that. Um, yeah, we've had some, some really funny moments together. So, uh, yeah, from that side of things, you know, I'm, I would look forward to it. But uh, yeah, I don't know what, what's happening yet. So I, I'm hoping everything kind of still stays as it is. Um, because I think for the team as well, it's a very good env environment at the moment. Um, and everyone's working very well as, as a whole team. So yeah, I think the main thing is to try and, and continue that in the end of the day. Yeah, be fascinating to see. In the pink and bows really want to help during this lockdown now whether we can or not is another question but we can try and we're going to do that by giving away some more Bose noise cancelling headphones to win them just share mini anecdotes from your time in lockdown and give us some feedback on this series always put in the hashtag Bose and tag in a couple of mates to do the same. And you never know, those headphones could be yours. Good luck, stay safe and stay connected. Um, do you know something I've always wanted to ask you? Where does the inspiration for the name Lando come from? Um, my mum just kind of came up with it. Did she make the name up? Yeah, because she, she, she's never watched Star Wars, so she doesn't know who Lando Calvazine is. So we didn't come from that. So she says she came up with it, yeah. And why? Just because she wanted to get creative? Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I guess. I mean, my mum's from Belgium, so, like, um, I don't know, we all kind of have a bit odd names in some ways, or different names, um, apart from Ollie. Uh, but, I mean, my, my sisters are called Flo and Siska, the same as my mum. Um, uh, and not just Florence, it's just, just Flo. So, I don't know. My mum's just come up with, with weird names. 
Uh, it's got a good ring to it. Was there ever was there ever a consideration that you might race under the Belgian flag? Um, no, I think I've always, uh, you know, I've always, oh, I lived in the UK for my whole life. And the only thing I really do is um, on the top of my helmet where I have the number four, then I have, then I have my 50-50 split of half a British flag, half a, a Flemish flag. So, um, yeah, I don't know what or what qualifies for, for you to kind of have the different flags. But um, I guess I, although I am 50-50 and I'm 50% Flemish, 50% British, um, at the same time, uh, I've lived in the UK my whole life um, and I speak a lot of English uh, and not very much Flemish. But can you speak Flemish? Uh, like a little, a little bit. Go on, give us, just tell, say anything <laughs> in Flemish to me, go on. Uh, oh, I mean, I can say like a little bit. So like a little bit is a clean picture. Well, that means a little bit. Yeah, like a, yeah, a tiny bit. Clean is like small. Clean is like small. Clean a picture. Hi, my name is Lando Norris and I'm a racing yeah, I, I don't know, I just say that. <laughs> Like, if someone says, can you speak Flemish? You go, okay. uh, yeah, I mean, I can count. I can say like, I can, I can count. And I can, un I can understand a bit of it. Um, so if they're talking, I kind of understand things, but I just can't, I mean, I can hardly speak English very well. So I really struggle to speak Flemish. Um, now, digressing completely. I was thinking about you the other day because I was watching The Last Dance and have you seen it yet? The Netflix no. series? The, oh, oh, that's the uh, I see it. basketball one? Yeah. Michael Jordan? Yeah, about the Chicago Bulls. And there was, and the, I'm, I haven't quite finished it yet, but there, the episode that I was on was just about him talking about the press. And I remember thinking, you know, like just seeing him in the massive huddle of press which you will no doubt have as your career progresses. It reminded me a bit of Lewis and the press, the pressure that the press put on him. And he was basically just like worn down by it. And there was almost a part of me that felt that sort of cringe slightly that thought, God, that's me in that huddle. That's me like poking the microphone in. Yeah, it is. <laughs> uh, yeah. And it, I don't know, it sort of made my toes curl slightly, but, um, when I think back to that time when I saw you MTC in 2017 and I talk to you now and I think, you know, you are just such a lovely bloke and there's just um, a kind of a kindness, a wholesomeness there, obviously a passion to drive. Do you ever feel and do you feel now as if you're changing because of the increased pressure that you're under, particularly with the spotlight being on you? Do you, do you feel defensive in a way? Do you feel as if your guard is creeping up slightly because the intrusion of the press how, how do you feel as a sportsman with with the world looking at you and it's only going to get it's only going to ramp up more and more and more isn't yeah. it? yeah no I, I don't think like i don't think much of it at all to be honest um the only really thing you know i had to like be a bit more wary about is um like you know comments or privacy things so um you know, if I'm streaming or something or I say something to someone and if it's a bad thing, then it can very easily, um, you know, get put out there and then um, it can make me look really bad, basically. So not that I say anything bad, of course, mm -hmm. but, um, you know, there's just a lot of things that, that can very easily mm. um, 
not be taken out of context even, but you know, you just say something and someone hears it um, that shouldn't hear it, then it can all go very wrong very quickly. So you just, yeah, you got to just be a bit more careful at times. Um, and you know, when I'm like streaming and things like that, there's always, um, probably someone listening and things get put on then Twitter or Facebook or whatever, um, which spark a lot of controversy sometimes. So, um, yeah, I guess things like that, you got to be a bit more careful with, but I don't feel more pressure from it. Um, I don't think of it in a negative way in, in any way, to be honest. Um, it's just part of doing what I do. Um, that's about it. I don't think of it in, in many other ways, to be honest. It's funny because there is a fine line between like, when you're honest and given off the cuff remark, people love it because they see it as yeah. showing your true personality. Yes. You've kind of rehearsed media answers because they just feel too polished they don't feel like tapping into your soul but equally there is just a very fine line between like going just a little bit too exactly far, yeah. You know, yeah making it tricky for yourself going forward so listen i guess that that every young racer's ambition dream is to be world champion is that kind of something that you that you think about um and and if so you see yourself or dream of doing it with mclaren or do you um do you not even kind of pay attention to that? Are you one of these guys that's, you, you know, you're just focusing on the next time you go racing? Um, I mean, I would, I would love to, and I think about it and that's, that is my, my aim. Um, you know, one, it was to get into formula one. And if I made it to formula one, I'd be very happy. Um, two is if I got into formula one, um, my aim is to win a world championship or, um, to at least win some races in, in F1. So, um, that's my aim and that's everything I'm working towards now and yeah I don't think I could be happier if I am um, or I would just love to do it with McLaren I guess with where I am now and the atmosphere and how everything is is um, that's my dream is is to win it with McLaren um, with the people I'm working with now um, that's uh, that's what I would want uh, more than anything at the moment so I guess I do think of that um, and that's my aim and that's everything I kind of work towards. Um, but at the same time, um, the situation is obviously very different. So, you know, there's always the comparison of Lewis joining McLaren um, when he was young and, and me joining McLaren when I was young and kind of being the young driver coming up through the team. But um of course, the situation from when Lewis was in McLaren and in F1 to where it is now is completely different. And he was in a championship winning car from day one. Um, you could do a lot more testing back then than you can in F1 now. Um, so, you know, when he arrived at his first race, he would have done countless amount of, of test days. He would have been a lot more prepared than even I was after doing all the FP1s and everything. Um, and he was, you know, he was in a car that was competitive enough to, to win the championship in his first year. Mm -hmm. So of course, like everyone always kind of compares it to that. Um, but you know, it's very different that I'm coming in um, with a lot less testing than what he would have done as a, as a young driver, still a lot. And, you know, getting the opportunity to do all FP, FP ones um, a couple of years ago already. Um, but then, you know, the car is nowhere near capable of, uh, of winning a race, you know, let alone a championship. So, um, 
you do have to take kind of some things differently. Um, yeah. I and mean, I never know, you know, you never know the story of where you're going to end up in future years and so on. But at the same time, um, yeah, everything I do now is focused for McLaren and trying to help them and obviously trying to help myself at the same time. If I can help them, they can help me. So, um, yeah, that's all I want to be thinking of now is trying to win races and win a championship with, uh, with McLaren. Um, and get back to to doing that instead of being P P six P seven P eight wherever we are. I mean, you must be so encouraged though by the step forward last year. And if you continue on that trajectory, there's nothing to say that McLaren can't get back on the podium or even winning races very soon. Um, yes, of course, but it's it's not as easy as that. It's not just like oh yeah, we we did this and we were, we moved in this direction that uh, we can just do the same next year and it's going to be even better. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's not as simple as that. So that feeling then, how competitive do you think, I mean, it's so difficult when we haven't, you know, we only saw testing in Barcelona. That's all we've yeah. seen. Reliability was obviously a, a big plus there, but mm -hmm. what's your gut feeling as to how good the car can be this year? Um, I don't know. It's from what we saw in preseason testing. Um, I would say we weren't in a too dissimilar place to where we were last year um that is extremely close um you know i think where we did very well last year was with the consistency of the team um and you know decent results and having p6 and p7 between me and carlos and both having top 10s and and you know having double points finishes a lot of the time um and i think that's where we really outdid them and uh strategies and stuff like that is where we did very well as a team last year um but we didn't always have you know the fourth best car last year there's a lot of races when Renault were much quicker or Haas were much quicker Salvo were quicker um so it wasn't like you know all last year we had the, the fourth best car and and therefore we, we finished fourth in the constructors um there's a lot of times when we did better on pure um non-car related skills basically so the pit stops and strategies and everything like that so um it's hard to say just how you're going to do as a team based on car performance because there's a lot of other things that can come into play but um yeah i don't think we're competitive enough to race the top three teams i think the top three are still very quick um and obviously the, the pink mercedes as well <laughs> um uh who look extremely fast um, and were quicker than us in preseason testing. So I think it's going to be very close when you get back to racing. I think you're going to have the midfield pack who are still extremely close and you go from one weekend to another and it's going to be jumbled up and mixed and you can't, yeah, close enough that you can't just say McLaren are going to be fourth or this team's going to be fifth and this team's going to be sixth, um, which is kind of cool and a cool thing to think about is that it's going to be close. but. Uh, yeah, it's also not a nice thing to think about because we want to be, uh, we want to be confident enough to say, all right, we are going to be finishing fourth in this race, or we have a chance to go for the third best team, or something like that. So there's uh, still a lot of work we got to do, but um, I don't think we're in a a bad position at all to to fight for at least fourth in the constructors again. Well, I know there'll be a lot of people. Because there just seem to be so many McLaren fans in this country. Like even yeah. people that might support another team always 
want McLaren to do well, don't they? It's great. Yes. There's such a, yeah. No, it's nice. It's nice. Um, and I think like at the same time, every driver kind of wants to drive for McLaren at some point. Um, so yeah, for me to be like in that position already um, and to be having all of these fans supporting the team and then supporting me at the same time, um, it's really cool. So, you know, going to like Silverstone and having that as a home race for both me and the team, then uh, yeah, that, that makes it really special. So I don't know. We'll see how we can do this year. We'll hopefully find out in not too long. Great stuff. Thank you so much for your time, Lando. It's lovely to speak to you as always. And I hope you very much. See you at a racetrack very soon. Yes. How long? How long? One, um, one and a half months? July the 5th, we're hoping. Austria. Still a long time, to be honest, isn't it? There's a lot of papaya in the stands in Austria. All there for you. Yeah, all the McLaren fans. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you, Lando. Thank you very much. Thank you for your time, Lando. Lovely to spend it with you, um, albeit via Zoom during this lockdown. And as you will have picked up, uh, it was only really hours after we did our chat that he found out Carlos was indeed going to Ferrari. Um, So he's no doubt feeling a bit blue about that. It's been amazing to see their friendship and competitiveness coexist um, during the time at McLaren. But also, as you will have heard, um, the prospects of Daniel joining is one that obviously he is looking forward to. So that's great stuff. Um, And you can still win those noise cancelling headphones from Bose. So um, just let us know who you've loved hearing from, who you'd like to hear from. Tag in a friend and add the hashtag Bose on Instagram and they could be coming to you. Um, Plenty more interviews on the way, including Sir Chris Hoy, um, Michelle Moe, and we've got Kate Thornton, Will Greenwood, and indeed Carlos Sainz. So plenty more on the way very soon in the pink. But in the meantime, stay safe and stay connected. Bye for now. This is Acast Recommends. Every week we pick one of our favorite shows and this is one we think you're going to love. This is Not a Drake Podcast is a new series from CBC Podcasts that uses seminal moments in Drake's career to explore the history and evolution of hip-hop, R&B, and black culture and unpacks how rap is evolving with shifts in gender dynamics. It's also about the rapper who's blurred genres and dominated the world stage and the larger hip-hop movement that made him. You can subscribe to This Is Not A Drake Podcast on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST is home to the biggest podcast from the U.S. and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via ACAST or wherever you get your podcasts.